back to episode number 6 of the Gladiators Den MMA. Here I'm going to go over UFC 288 and everything that goes with that pay-per-view. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy. Without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Gladiators Den MMA. And thank you for tuning in. I realized I didn't post a podcast episode last week as I intended, but I swear over these last couple of months, I've been sick more times than I've been in like the last 10 years of my life. So yeah, I've been a little bit slow again as usual. Doesn't help that I'm lazy as shit, but anyways, we're back covering UFC 288. And if I remember, I'm going to go over all the things that happened in the week prior to that as well. So, where else is better to kick off than the main event? Aljamain Sterling split decision win over Henry Cejudo. Now, if you follow me on YouTube, my prediction was Triple C. Um, If you don't follow my YouTube, go give it a follow. Link will probably be in the description. And if you can't find it, then just type in Gladiators Den or Gladiators Den MMA and it'll come up. But yeah, I was pretty sure Triple C was going to win. So my argument being that, you know, the the three-year layoff and being a little bit older never seems to fare well in these lighter divisions. I think the statistic I mentioned on one of my videos was the athletes aged over 35 were 2-28 and 28 in title fights. And the only two victories were from Tyrone Woodley, who we know is a freak athlete. So... Age definitely wasn't on Cejudo's side going into this fight, but I just had a feeling he was going to get it done. Cejudo has one of the best fight IQs in the game, and his retirement hasn't been sitting on the sidelines and, you know, not being involved in the game. He's been coaching, and not only has he been coaching, he's been coaching people to world championships, which, you know, lifelong coaches don't even get to do that. So I believe he worked with John Jones and Wei Li, both ahead of their title victories. So I was pretty certain that Cejudo was gonna uh, was gonna get the job done. I thought he was gonna be better in the stand up, and I thought he would be able to nullify Sterling's takedowns. But yeah, I mean, I was proven wrong. Uh, I don't feel like Cejudo's age was a factor. I don't feel like he was lacking sharpness. I definitely think that the weight and size of Aljamain came into play because when those two were like clinched up and grappling. I was so surprised at how much bigger Sterling is. Now, I know Sterling is big for that weight class, and obviously, Cejudo was champion at 125, a weight that uh, Sterling would never, ever make in a million years. But I never thought that the, the discrepancy between the two would have been as severe as it was. Now, that being said, Cejudo was wrestling well. I mean, he was defending takedowns well. He was defending himself in the clinch, but... Yeah, he just didn't do enough, I guess. I I did score the fight personally to Henry. I gave him rounds two, three, and five. Three being the closest one. I mean, arguably two was close as well, but I do think he won those two. A split decision, I wasn't surprised at all. But if you're thinking how close was Henry to actually winning, it's probably a lot closer than you think. One of the judges... I believe his name was uh, Derek Cleary. 
Yeah, I'm gonna. I think his name was Derek Cleary, right? He gave round five to Sterling. He gave Sterling round one, four, and five. Round five was probably the most easiest, the easiest round to score in the entire fight. It was the clearest round Cejudo had. Now, had the Derek Cleary scored that for Cejudo, Cejudo wins the fight unanimously as well. So. Not only was Henry very close to winning the title in a close split decision, he was one round away from winning, and the round that prevented him from retaining the title, uh, sorry, from recapturing the title, was the clearest round that he had won. So there's certainly a big argument for he won, but it's definitely in no, in no words, a, a robbery or anything like that. Uh, I definitely think people have to give props to Sterling because... I mean, the guys had such a rough time in the UFC, right? So before we get into that and before we get into the bias against Sterling, I want to just, you know, go, go a little bit deeper into his performance because as much as it was a close fight, people are going to probably discredit him. I definitely think Sterling showed a lot of improvements and Sterling definitely fought extremely well. Now, his, I believe Henry's, uh, Henry had only ever been taken down once ever in his entire UFC career before that fight and Sterling took him down four times now again he is bigger he is stronger but Henry is an Olympic gold medalist and he proved many times during that fight that he could defend the takedowns Sterling's persistence and his craftiness just you know it just prevailed in the end but yeah Sterling's stand-up looked good as well I mean, Henry was having a really, really tough time um, gauging distance. Whenever he thought he was just outside of Sterling's range, Sterling would still clip him. And when he was going in and, you know, trying to box him in close, Sterling was catching him with the hooks. Sterling was doing extremely well when he was on the feet. And I was extremely surprised with that. And his clinches looked pretty good too. So I think... Sterling's game looked pretty much a lot. Sorry, his game looked a lot more well-rounded in this fight than I've seen in his previous fights. Now, is that because he's facing a wrestler, not a striker? Maybe, but I I think Sterling Sterling did extremely well, and he's still not going to get the credit he deserves. Now, I just want to go through some of his accolades, right? So he has fourteen wins in the bantamweight division, which is the most ever. He's on a nine-fight winning streak, the longest ever winning streak in the bantamweight division. He's had four title fight victories. He's tied second ever. He's had three consecutive defenses, which is the most ever. And just to put into perspective how, you know, how many three title defenses is, that's the record for the lightweight division too. Khabib Nurmagomedov only had three title defenses before he retired. So... Keeping the title for a longer period of time at, at the lighter weight divisions has always seemed to be more of a challenge. Um, I don't know why. I, I just seems, I guess it's a lot more competitive because the average human is, you know, smaller in comparison to these bigger athletes. So the level of competition is probably just at a bit of a higher level. It's a bit more competitive in that sense. But if you're looking at Sterling's accolades on paper... Bearing in mind as well, he debuted in 2014, so he's been in, in the UFC for nine years. He's not, you know, he's been around a lot. He's earned his stripes. 
he he is on paper one of the best bantamweights ever. Now, for some reason, he doesn't get that respect. Now, again, he has had a, you know, a controversial title run, so to speak. He won the title via DQ. Not his fault. He had a close split decision against Peter Yan, which at the time, Peter Yan was the bogeyman in that division. He was someone nobody wanted to fight. He was somebody who everybody thought was going to wipe the floor with Sterling. And then he beat an injured TJ. Again, not his fault that Dillashaw came in with an injury. He fought to the best of his ability against someone who was, you know, carrying an injury, which he didn't know prior to it. It's not his fault that TJ was fighting with an injury. And now he's had another close decision, split decision win against Cejudo, who is also arguably one of the best bantamweights in history. He's one of the best pound-for-pound UFC fighters to ever do it. But because of the manner that he won the title and because of the manner that, you know, his title reigned, the course it's taken, he just doesn't get the respect. And I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's ever going to win people over. I think he's just got to kind of embrace it. He's just got to be the heel and he's just got to run with it. He's going to have one of those careers where we look back on it and then we appreciate it. I just don't think there's anything he could do. Say he beats O'Malley, who is next in line for the title, right? He's not going to earn anybody over unless he knocks him out. Because if he beats O'Malley, he's the, the first biggest... He's the first, like, test O'Malley would have had in terms of wrestling, right? The first really distinguished and established wrestler will be Sterling. So, for O'Malley to, to face... Sterling and for Sterling to win via, you know, a grappling heavy approach, he's not going to win anyone over. Everyone's just going to say, ah, you only beat him because you were scratch sniffing. So I personally respect him, man. I think he's great. I think he's, he's done well. He's handled the criticism well. I mean, he was fighting his first ever main event in his hometown and he was being booed during the fight. People were chanting for Henry in his hometown. Now that's got to stink, surely. That's got to play with you mentally. And, you know, he's still positive. He's still on the interviews talking about how how much he appreciated the crowd, how much he enjoyed himself and stuff. I think he's handling the whole thing well. Uh, I definitely think that we're pretty unfair on him as a fan base. But yeah, I mean... What I was going to was, if he beats O'Malley and then goes up to 145, like he's been saying, then beats Volkanovski, then obviously, you know, people are going to respect him and finally get on board. But surely that's not what it takes. Surely you don't have to beat the pound-for-pound number one guy. I mean, he might not be pound-for-pound number one now, but he was at one time, right? Surely you don't have to beat the pound-for-pound number one guy to earn respect. Or for people to appreciate how good you are. I just I just think he's had it rough, man. I don't think I don't think we're fair we're fair on uh, Sterling. But at the end of the day he got the job done. Sahudo was kind of contemplating retirement, but he's since been on social media calling out uh Marab, obviously Sterling's training partner. Uh, I definitely don't think Sahudo should retire personally. I think to take the champion to that close of a decision clearly shows that he's at he, you know he's still at the top the only issue is 
is what are his goals? Does he want to fight for a title? Because if that's the case, is he ever going to get a title shot again? You know, he's going to have to work his way back up. It's going to take a while. He's going to age in that time. He might just not have it in him. If he goes up to 145, he's just going to be way, way, way too small. He said he's not going down to 125 again. So if he just wants some money, he just wants some fun fights, then I think Henry definitely is someone. He's a contender. But if his aspiration is to try and regain a championship, uh, I just think he got a bit unlucky. I think he's done. But yeah, moving on, speaking of future champions, we have our number one contender in the welterweight division, Mr. Bilal Muhammad. Another controversial victory and another guy that doesn't quite seem to gain the respect of the fans. So Bilal Muhammad, I think, going into the fight was, what, 10, 10 fights unbeaten? Obviously, he had the no contest against Leon, so he had he's had nine wins. Uh... Gilbert Burns, he beat who, Masvidal and was it, who did he beat prior to that? I can't remember. But yeah, Bilal definitely had the biggest claim to the title. I think he was, you know, nine out of 10 victories, one no contest. Burns had two, two wins and, you know, coming off that loss to Usman only a couple of years ago. I just feel like Bilal has past all the tests that people have kind of thrown him to try and throw him off course. So, you know, they gave him Sean Brady, who was an undefeated prospect at the time. People expected him to kind of wipe the floor with Bilal or at least give him a really, really tough match. And he finished him on the feet, which nobody expected. This fight with Gilbert Burns, Bilal was showing his his skills on the feet. His, his kicks to the body were incredible. He was switching stances. He was really giving uh, Burns a hard time with his distance. Burns couldn't couldn't find him. I know he injured himself later in the rounds, but we're going to get to that in a minute. But in the first one and a half rounds, Burns couldn't even find Bilal. Bilal was moving really well, and he was you know he was lighting Burns up. After I fought, saw that first round, I was unbelievably shocked. So, yeah, I also, my prediction before the fight was Burns TKO or KO. So... I posted two videos on YouTube for the official predictions, so I guess I'm 0-2. Need to try and win that back this week, so keep an eye out on my YouTube for some more incorrect predictions. But yeah, Burns, he I think he teared something in his shoulder, right? He's come out and said he doesn't require surgery, which is obviously good news, but similar situation to Cejudo. It kind of seems now that's the end of the road in terms of title aspirations for Burns. Now we've opened the door for Bilal to come in and take his shot, which is pretty interesting. I would 100% more more excited to see Bilal versus Leon again than Leon versus Colby, just for the fact that I don't believe Colby has done enough to earn a title shot. Now, in terms of selling the pay-per-view, in terms of a competitive fight, yep, Colby might be better in that sense, but I'm more an advocate for for being fair. I definitely think that... Uh, I just don't think he's done enough, Colby. I mean, I've spoke about that before. I mean, we can get to that later. Uh, a story for another day. But yeah, back to Bilal. He, he, his win, sorry, should not be discredited because of Burns' injury. Now, if I'm correct in assuming what the Dana White said was true and that the takedown, the scramble they had in the second round is what caused the tear, 
Bilal caused the injury. It was Bilal that did the damage. Therefore, Bilal should take credit for what ensued after that. Similar thing to when Yair Rodriguez popped out Brian Ortega's shoulder, right? They called the fight and everyone kind of discredited the win. That's a submission victory. He pulled his shoulder out. He gets credit for it. If you cause an injury, you are doing damage. The number one thing that the judges look for when scoring a fight is damage. So if you can cause a damage, cause enough damage to cause a physical injury that hinders them for the rest of the fight, that shouldn't be used against you when you win. It should be, you know, you should keep that in mind. Bilal Muhammad caused the injury, which made the fight easier for him. Therefore, he did a better job than Burns. Now, Bilal's just in a similar boat to Sterling, and I think it's because of, you know, the way he fights. He has a lot of decisions. He's not that exciting. I think, I can't remember what it was. He had like, was it 12 fights without a knockdown or something prior to Sean Brady? I can't remember. It was quite a lot. So yeah, people just like to hate on him because it's kind of easy to hate on him. But Bilal's someone that's done extremely well in dealing with that as well. He's dealt with the the negative side of the media and the crowd and whatever and the fans. And he's he's got a stone mentality. A props to him, man. And you know, coming off Ramadan and taking the fight. <clears throat> I mean, great victory, great performance. Uh, moving on to the women's strawweight fight, Jessica Andrade. Now, before we speak about this fight, I was on Twitter this morning, actually, and I unfortunately came across some absolutely vile OnlyFans pictures leaks regarding one Jessica Andrade. Now, if you want to keep your sanity and you don't want to throw up any food that you've just eaten, I recommend that you don't look. But I've seen them. I just need to get it off my chest because I feel like I'm going to have PTSD. But if I've seen them, I feel like somebody else should also suffer. So I'm letting you know that they're out there. But I would highly recommend that you don't. But yeah, she was KO'd in the first round against Yan Xiaonan. Now, what was surprising about this is not the fact that she was caught in the way she did because Andraj is kind of loopy with her shots and she keeps her chin up anyway is the fact that it was Xiaonan that finished her. She's never got a finish in the UFC, and the way she finished her, she put her out as well. Now, super impressed with that. It sets up a huge potential fight with Wei Li in China. Uh, you know, you can put Song Yidong on that, especially after his big victory last week, which I'll get to in a minute. Yeah, I mean, not much more to say on that. Uh, I think at this point of the of the of the uh, card, I was kind of falling asleep, so I did drift off a little bit. But yeah, props to her. Yeah, next uh, we had the last minute debut of Diego Lopez. What a fucking fight that was! Now, I feel like this is why I was falling asleep in the next fight because I was on the edge of my seat for this one and I burnt all my energy I had. Now. I love nothing more than when somebody comes into a fight on short notice and just instantly wins the fight, uh, wins the fans over. Uh, Chris Martino against Sean O'Malley comes to mind. Now, 
he won the fans over for a different reason, right? He won them over for being so tough. Nobody expected him to be. But Lopez was a dog the entire fight. Now, unknown guy comes in on, what, four or five days notice against one of the biggest up-and-comers in the featherweight division. You know, he's been touted to be the biggest test or the biggest challenge for Volkanovski in the future. Undefeated, 16 and 17 and 0 or something. He was a favorite going in uh, against Bryce Mitchell. So, massive favorite going into this against Diego Lopez. And Diego Lopez nearly caught him multiple times. At the end of the first round, I think he had him in like an armbar or a triangle or something. In the last round, he had almost had him in a knee bar. There was never a point in that fight where you thought Diego Lopez is done. And every time he looked tired and looked like he might be done, he came back out swinging. Now, put that man on a on a full camp and give him somebody in the top 15. And I think he gives them an absolutely, gives them a great fight, gives them a big test. So I'm excited to see what they do with him. I know that Dana gave him his win money, which was pretty cool to see. Uh, yeah, I want. I'm intrigued to see what happens with him. The other fight that happened was Cron Gracie, which was possibly one of the worst performances I've seen in recent history against my boy Pirate Charles Jordan, one of my favorite fighters to watch. Never ever has he been in a boring fight. He's so technically sound. He's so well rounded. I love his stand up, and he is a great fight for anyone, and always a great watch for the fans. If you've never seen Charles Jordan fight. Go and look at any of them. They're all amazing. Great fighter. But I think what this fight proved was the old style, you know, one discipline heavy approach is just not cut for the MMA, uh, the top of the MMA ladder anymore. Now, extreme, you know, submission specialist, jiu-jitsu specialist. But when you're against a guy that can do it all, like Charles Jordan. Even when he was in uh, Gracie's guard, he just defended well. He knew what to do to avoid anything stupid. Now, you just have to be so much better than, than 10 years ago. To be at the top of the UFC in particular, you just have to be so good everywhere. You can't afford to just rely on one thing because you will quickly get found out. And that's what we saw in that fight. Now... Like, who did he call out in his fight? Fuck me. Uh, Barbosa. Now, that is a fight I would love to see. Charles Jardine versus Edson Barbosa. Sign me the fuck up right now. Yeah, amazing fight. Uh, next was the Steamroller. Wow, talk about two fucking crazy fights back to back. So, Matt Frivola was the... Second, I think, person to ever finish Drew Dober. If he wasn't the second, he was definitely the the second person in like 11 years or 9 years or something. Granite Chin Dober. Now, obviously, there's a bit of a narrative that it was stopped too early. I don't think so. When I think it was actually stopped a little bit too late. But because he stopped it a little bit later, it allowed Dober to recover, which made it look like it was stopped early, if that makes sense. What actually happened was Dober was put out, and then I think he woke back up and kind of got his bearings back, and then it was stopped. 
It should have been stopped about four or five seconds prior to what it did. But I'm 100% all for stopping the fight when the fighter is not defending himself intelligently, which is what the rule states. Now, he was out flat on his face or flat on his back or whatever for a couple of seconds. That's it. Fight's done. Whether you stop it a couple of seconds later or not, the fight is done. You're saving a fighter from unnecessary damage, which with four rounds gloves on against killers, you you can't take that risk. A couple of extra punches can make a huge difference when you're not defending yourself properly. And if that happens multiple times throughout your career, it's only going to end badly. So... I don't think the stoppage was bad. I think it was fine. I think referees have one of the hardest jobs in sports. MMA judges, uh, sorry, MMA referees have one of the hardest job in all of sports. It's so heavily criticized. It's so hard. You have absolutely no room for error. But yeah, Matt Frivola, what a fucking, what a man. Both of them said they're going to come out and scrap and one of them's not coming out. And they were right. They gave us exactly what we wanted. And... I was surprised. I thought Dober was gonna. Do, I thought Dober was gonna do it. Favola's a dog, man. What's that? Three victories in a row. Three KO victories in a row. Called out Paddy Pimlet. Great call out. I think. He's got a great personality to kind of build a rivalry with Paddy. Sell the fight. Uh, I think it's a good fight for Paddy. It silences a lot of doubters, because you know people are saying that Paddy is scared to fight people in the top 15 or whatever, he's, you know, cherry-picking his fights, I feel like a fight against uh, Frivola is definitely a winnable one for Paddy, because the way Frivola fights is kind of reckless, Paddy could easily catch him, or, you know, grapple with him and take advantage of him there, and the way Paddy fights with his chin in the air, he could easily get caught and knocked out, so I feel like that's an incredible, an incredible fight that we probably won't get. Um, I know that Paddy was chasing the rematch with Jared Gordon. Now, I know Gordon has to sit out for like three months because of the way his last fight went and, you know, concussion safety and stuff. Now, is he going to try and run it back with Bobby Green? Does he want to run it back with Paddy? Uh, Paddy's having surgery in his ankle. So, you know, fans lose interest so quickly, man. So do people even want to see him run it back with Jared Gordon? I think I think Paddy is kind of losing the fan base because of the stuff he said about Ariel and the way he's kind of spoke about other fighters recently that people are rooting against him more. So I think they want to see him put in with somebody that they feel can knock him out. So I feel like the fans are definitely going to lean to see Frivola fighting Paddy than they would Jared Gordon. But I would love to see it. And I think... It would be a hard fight to choose the winner. I think both men, both men definitely have, uh, both have a pretty hectic fighting style, so to say, so to speak. Um, another impressive victory was Kennedy Nezchukwu with his submission victory over Devin Clark. Super impressed with that, especially the fact that it was a submission victory. I thought Devin Clark would be the better wrestler. And I didn't think he would get caught like he did. Super impressed with that. Um, what else happened? Uh, uh, yeah, big boy Parker Porter got the KO. Now, I was super surprised with who he was fighting. I mean, 
Pakapoa doesn't have a bad record in the UFC, if I remember correctly. Like, I understand he's 38, but he doesn't have a bad record. I think he's like 14 and 8, 14, 14 and 9 or something. Now, in his last seven fights, I think, he lost to Justin Taffer, you know, great kickboxer, son of, what's his face? Yeah, good kickboxer, nothing to, nothing to worry about, lost to Jailton Almeida, future heavyweight champion, and then he won three fights in a row prior to that, so, I think it was three, what three and three in the UFC going into this. Yeah, it's three and three fights. I don't know. I kind of just confused myself speaking about that. Yeah, I was super happy to see him win. Put it that way. I've seen him uh, on an aerial interview, and he seems like a super nice guy. Hard not to root for him. Uh, what else did we have? Uh, oh yeah, the fucking the Russian guy that uh that fought Chimaev. So if you caught the early prelims, you'd have seen a debut of Ikram Iskerov. He is the guy in the very viral video you see of Chimaev uppercutting someone and sending them to the Shadow Realm, where they just go stiff as a board and fall. So that's him. He has, I think, 13 wins or 14 wins after this weekend and one defeat. That one defeat is to Chimaev. And Chimaev could not take him down. He is a world sambo multiple world sambo champion, an extremely good wrestler, only like 30 years old, I think. Very, very interesting prospect. Now, his stand-up looked shady, to say the least. I was watching that fight, and I was watching Phil Hawes piece him up a little bit and find find entries, and I was thinking, if he doesn't take Hawes down soon, he's gonna get you know, knocked out, he's going to get beat, but he clipped Hawes, and Hawes just went to sleep, I mean, Hawes, I feel so bad, man, I don't know what's happened to him, he just has one of the worst chins for somebody, you know, I guess, as young, or in their prime as he is, because, what is he, early 30s, he has the chin of someone that's been fighting for 50 years, now, it's just kind of depressing to see, because he's a really good fighter, but, I mean, in his last, what, four fights, he's been KO'd three times. Disgusting KOs, too. Yeah, I don't know. I just hope that it's not one of those. Ah, he won his fight. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, how long have I been going for? Uh, yeah, quickly talk about last week. I mean, I was pretty upset with last week's card. Um, I think maybe I was pretty unmotivated to do a, an episode as well. And then I was feeling sick, so it didn't help. But the the UFC just need to scrap the all their in-house fights now. Anything at the Apex, I'm just not interested in it. Now, the card was very below par. I think they're kind of struggling to keep up with the uh with the scheduling. So there was pretty much nothing I was looking forward to outside of the main and co-main. So I'm going to skip everything except those. Now, Kai Borello, I'm a huge fan of his. Have been since he joined the UFC. Think he's amazing. Was super happy to see him get the submission. He's been calling for a finish because people have been calling him boring or whatever. He proved a lot of people wrong. I think he's definitely someone to look out for in the middleweight division. 
He's probably two or three wins, maybe less. Two victories, and he's up there in the top top 10, top 5. Easy. And I think he gives them all problems. Uh, Song Yudong, very, very impressive win. To come back from the defeat against Sanghagen in the way he did. Now, he's 25. That guy is a fucking killer. He is a future champion for sure. He, he outclassed Ricky Simone in every single way. And the ferocity and power that that guy could land is just insane. Super impressive Song Yudong. Hopefully they get him on a card in China if they go there eventually. Uh, yeah, Ricky Simone, he bounces back. He's still, he's still, he's still one of the best in that division. No, 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 bantamweight division is fucking insane, right? They have so many interesting fights. You can pick any name in the top 10 out of a hat and it's an interesting fight uh, and a close fight. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what happens in the next six months or so. Especially if Sterling and, and O'Malley fight for the title in August or September like they're supposed to. Or as Dana said or whatever. If Sterling does win and vacates the title, it kind of just throws everything into a loop, right? Because you have Marab who's probably sitting on the sidelines or has another fight before then who's probably the closest. Yeah, he's definitely the number one contender outside of O'Malley. And then you have like Song Yidong coming up. You have Sandhagen winning again. It's just, if he vacates, it just throws everything into a loop. And I think it just messes everything up. For the division, I think the best thing is to have O'Malley win. And then, yeah, there's a bunch of interesting fights for O'Malley as well, that division. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, thank you for listening. If you managed to listen all the way through to the end, I appreciate you. Please go check out my YouTube. I'm going to be uploading more videos. They're only going to be shorter clips, like, five minutes maybe less just talking on some of the rumors talking on some of my predictions stuff like that and yep thanks for listening i'll see you next week for the next episode